Hey everybody, welcome to The Highlight Show. This is a show within our show where we sit down and talk to people doing really cool stuff. It could be someone starting a restaurant, it could be a youth group, it could be somebody who has just gone through something hard and has a really cool story to tell. We sit down with them, we pick their brains, and we glean what life lessons we can learn from their journey. Give it a listen. All right, everyone, welcome once again to another one of our Inkledoo Highlights series. I'm sitting down here with Marquise, and I know you just told me it's okay to say Marquise Enchilada, but for <laughs> the first one, if you could go ahead and pronounce the last name for me. Yes, it's Echevarria. Echevarria. Yes. Okay, excellent. So we're joined today by Marquise, uh, who is active in the social media group and the social awareness group, Kill Today's Giant. And for people who aren't aware of what that is... Could you give us kind of just a quick, the the short explanation version? Yeah, so Kill Teenage Giant is an organization that brings awareness to um, sex trafficking, um, mostly in the United States. And we do uh, live events as well, just stuff on social media. Um, but also any type of talking opportunity that we get, whether that's at JCU, um, where I go to college actually, or um, any other place that will honestly take us to want to learn more about this issue that's not only in other countries, but here in America. So, Marquis, looking at how did you become aware of this issue? Like, what brought your attention to it? Funny story. Um, I actually had no idea about this issue. Um, until, like I'm guessing most people. Yeah. And until I was actually on vacation with my family um, almost four years ago, we're at five o'clock in the morning there, which was like nine o'clock here. So they didn't have any idea that they were calling me super early. Um, but I got a call from like a complete stranger and he was asking me, um, if I would like to take up a group of girls out to what they, it's like a young life, um, Christian youth camp, um, for a week. And because I was already a young life leader, I was willing to say, yes, of course. Um, until he informed me that um, all these girls were survivors of trafficking. And at this time, I immediately my head jumped to, oh, they're coming from another country. Ah, like, I mean, what in most people would mm-hmm. think. Um, but then he told me that it was actually girls from here in Phoenix, um, which was completely shocking to me because I just didn't understand that it even really existed here. Um, so I said yes um, after months of prayer because I didn't feel worthy of doing that. And I was honestly terrified that I wasn't qualified to even process anything like that with anyone. Um, and then when I did get home from vacation, I researched trafficking and its prevalence here in America. And that's where I just, my heart broke. And God really broke my heart during that time and found myself on the floor crying many, many days. Um, so that's kind of where it started. So from there, from being someone who was helping to bring survivors of uh, trafficking to a spiritual kind of retreat, how did it grow from there? Well, when I um, took the, the girls, it was like three months, three or four months after that phone call. And we spent a whole week out in um, Williams, Arizona. And I got to hear each one of their stories individually. And you think that God's grace was definitely over me because um, 
I thought I would bawl every single time I heard the stories, which, trust me, my heart was burning. But God's just hand was upon us, was like, you got to be strong for them. Um, so I think hearing each one of their stories really made me um, realize how it affects people and then how it, more people need to know about these stories and what they can do to eliminate young girls going through this, but anyone going through it. Absolutely. Um, so when I got back from that trip, I knew that I wasn't allowed to contact them due to HIPAA and privacy. Um, a lot of them did have social media, but they were fake names um, because their identity was hidden. Right. Um, there was a couple cases where it was an FBI kind of a situation. So we had to Man, keep everything. Heavy. Yeah. We had to keep everything super, super private. Even when we were at the camp, they had to change. They had to change their whole camp around just for these girls, which was amazing. But that's how how protective they were. Cause the first time that they ever have done this, it was a first time thing. So I was definitely had the privilege to do it. Um, but when I got back, I was, I was brokenhearted and I was like, God, that can't be it. I mean, I can't just never hear from them again. I can never, you know, talk to them. What, what's next? And, um, through a couple months of prayer again, um, and a lot of crying again, um, where Streetlight, which is the organization I went with, um, reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to start a young life um, out on their campus. And so it was another way, another opportunity for me to work with these girls one-on-one. And then from there, just, I kept on asking, that's not it, God, that's not it. So he kept telling me, you're right, that's not it. So I became a mentor, got more plugged in. I did stuff with them for three years and then I began to realize when I was talking to my friends that no one knew about it and they had no idea the severity. So that's where KTG came about and that's why we started doing more awareness stuff. That's awesome. Um, so the your faith is clearly a big part of this for mm-hmm. you, which is beautiful to see. Has that kind of always been a central part of your life or is that something you kind of came to later? And how did how did that part of your life kind of develop? Definitely not. Um, I was definitely raised in the church, but whatever that means. Um, I definitely was the one that fell asleep and couldn't remember. I mean, when I was, got saved when I was 18 and when I actually followed, started following Jesus. Um, But I couldn't tell you a single Bible story when I was 18, even though I was literally raised in the church. Um, So I was actually came to know who Jesus truly was at Young Life Camp, the same camp I took those girls, which is an awesome moment. Um, But I was, when I was 18, just about to go to college, I was very broken. I was doing drugs, selling drugs, um, in a really unhealthy relationship, working full time to take care of my um, family, whose dad was an alcoholic. And so it was, um, it was difficult. It was definitely difficult, and I was in a deep depression, and I think that's a moment when my sister invited me to go out this camp (laughs) um, to kind of get freedom away from everything. The only reason why I was doing it was because, A, I didn't have to pay for it. B, heck, it sounded fun. I had no attention to really care about the Christian part to it. But, of course, you know, God knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how often that's the case. Yeah, right? So it was your sister who brought you out to it. Mm-hmm. And then 
I think a lot of times when people hear about people coming into the faith, they tend to assume that it's this one moment and then everything is smooth sailing from there. What was your coming from that really broken place? Mm-hmm. What was it like making that transition into like, I'm almost hesitant to ask about like how long it takes because realistically we're all still in that process right? yeah. even now. So true. But to be able to make that shift from feeling broken and kind of depressed and on your own to feeling like, yes, there's still work to be done, but at least now I'm confident I know where I'm going. What was that kind of transition and conversion in your life like? Yeah, so the best words that I can say is it doesn't always make sense and you have to be okay with it not making sense. Um, when I did get back to that, back from that camp, I did make some really hard decisions that I had to rip the bandaid off of. Mm. Um, and I just remember one of them, which was to end a relationship I was in and then quit my job because we worked for, I worked for his dad. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was one of those situations. Um, and then also move back home. So that was the three big decisions that I had to had to make. And I just remember before I went in to end this relationship, which was three years long. Um, so it was a pretty long relationship, even though I was young. Um, I just sat in my car and I was like, God, this makes zero sense. You know, like, I don't even know you, but I'm obviously in love with this family not and I live with them and I don't want to go back home and this doesn't make sense but I know I need to do it and I think that was the main thing that like kept me moving forward is that it doesn't always have to make sense right away um but we just have to have that faith that eventually it will even if it is years down the road and it was hard it was really hard and very confusing to me because I was doing the complete opposite of what my flesh wanted 100% um, and it wasn't as perfect as it wasn't like, oh, I'm moving back in. Bye. I never talked to him again. No, I still came around oh, and that was very unhealthy to begin with because then it was confusing to him and confusing to me. Um, but so it wasn't like this, bam, I have all this confidence and joy and doing it. It, it was hard and it was rough, but, um, when you know, when God's hand is upon something, it's painful but yet it has grace over it so it's it's a sweet pain which is weird that idea of uh i had someone who was explaining it to me one time as this idea of if it's of god even when it's really really difficult there's still this weird sense of peace that doesn't make sense to it yeah and conversely even when things feel really really easy there's this anxiety to it when it's not of him Mm -hmm. and i feel like kind of going along with what you were saying, there's this idea of it's a lot easier almost to trust in the planner rather than the plan because the plan itself doesn't always make sense. But if you know, because we are only able to see this like tiny little section of the plan at a time, but so it's that confidence in him. It's like, well, okay, so I don't know where you're taking me with this, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure it'll be good. Yes. So... That's fantastic. And then you're at GCU now? Yes, I have one more semester. I was going to say, how long have you been at GCU? And uh, what has, how has being part of a 
Christian focused campus and those kinds of things. How has that helped you as you've continued transit, this transition and this continued conversion? So I actually um, was at a community college prior to this. Okay. Um, and I was there for two years. Um, and that was a little bit more difficult because you don't really have a community. Um, no one lives on campus, so that was really difficult. So the transition over to GCU after two years at a community college was definitely refreshing. And I've been there for two years now. Okay. Um, it was definitely refreshing because, yes, like um, a lot of the teachers will pray before their class. And they will be more... Um, willing to you have an issue at home and you just don't feel like coming to school there they have a lot more grace I would say um okay. not all the professors I'll say no, certainly not it's... um and I found that I was in education um for most of my time during college and I found that a lot of the professors in the education world departments were a lot more willing to um make exceptions and also be there for prayer I'm in behavioral health science now, which is a little bit different, um, but it's still it's still great because I met my husband at GCU. Fantastic. Um, and I met some of my closest friends now at GCU, and just not everyone is. People have this idea of being on a Christian college that everyone is this strong person in their faith which is so not true i'm sorry but it's not but it's a great place where a lot of broken people go to and you see that awesome change in so many lives around you and it's so cool to be a part of so it's definitely made the experience a lot better for me absolutely well and i think that's a really key point too that idea that so i was i'm catholic and i went to seminary for a few years discerning the priesthood and everything and one of the things that I loved about that community is this idea of even if you're not at the same yeah. point in a spiritual in your spiritual journey as these other people, exactly. you know you've got the same destination that exactly. you're aiming for. It's like, okay, so maybe they're not super strong in their exactly. faith, but I know it matters to them. It's something they still care about. Exactly. So you've got that foundational level where it's much easier to kind of enter into relationship with people when you know you've got some of these core things mm -hmm. in common. Yep, exactly. So you're doing behavioral health science. Health science. Yes. And was that was that switch from education to behavioral health science? Was that influenced by your work with KTG or Yes and no. Okay. I Currently, am um, one of the lead um, behavior health technicians at a group home for teen boys, and I've been okay. doing that for two years. But I've been working with um, kids in the system for the last four years. Um, so the reason why I even went the education route to begin with, I was going to do business. I was going to take over my dad's company and make three figures and be good. Um, but the Lord had different plans. So I felt like I was supposed to work with kids. And when you think kids, you think teacher. Yep. Um, so I follow this route and it's not that like it was not what God was saying. I think I had to go through these many steps, mm -hmm. um, to get where I was at. So yes, like behavioral health science is awesome. Cause it works a lot with trauma and stuff like that, which is very helpful to kill today's giant and being knowledgeable in that. Um, but it also helps me with um, with the current work that I'm in now, too. Um, they go hand in hand because you learn about all the different disorders and stuff like that, um, which, unfortunately, a lot of 
people who are trafficked um, still, they deal with a lot of depression, anxiety, and even dissoci dissociation, um, and many other disorders, unfortunately. Absolutely. Well, and so I don't have any particular background in psychology or any of those kinds of things, but it, it does seem like kind of a natural connection. Yeah. Like the, the human brain is amazing and its ability to come up with different ways to cope with things. Like when you're talking about disassociation and those yeah. kinds of things, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to continue functioning unless I completely kind of isolate this part. Yep. And so I, it makes true. sense that there would be a lot of connection there. Yeah, and I actually had no idea when I went to behavioral health how much relation. I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. And the more I was sitting in my classrooms, I was like the weirdo in class that always related everything to trafficking. And I'm pretty sure my professors were kind of, kind of concerned at this point. <laughs> um, but it was like, oh, but like in prostitution, like in this and that, um, which prostitution to me is just another form of trafficking. Um, and it, it was definitely interesting to learn like how much the brain just is completely just falls apart during stuff like that. So, so with Kill Today's Giant, what is your, what is kind of your role with the organization at this point? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> hard to define? Uh, yeah, it's, it's very hard to define. Um, and it's really tricky because there's so much of me that I'm, one, one of my personality traits is that I'm a perfectionist. So I want to do everything. I want to do this and that. And real, reality, God's hand is not upon all of it. Um, and being only a small group so far, um, we have giant plans. We're taking it slowly. But um, I, in the end, I would love to open up um, homes for people who are rescued, um, boys and girls, mm -hmm. um, young and older because um, trafficking doesn't just end once you're 18. No. Which people often think that, oh, once you're 18, you know, they're just a prostitute now. That's so false. Um, and, but as I'm getting closer with other people in the Valley who also have organizations and jobs revolving around trafficking, we're beginning to dream and we're beginning to think of, you know, yes, I might want to do this and they want to do this, but how can we come together and something so we pooling the resources yes yeah and i've been having meetings and stuff like that so we're off it's not confirmed but we're stirring up the idea of maybe opening up a drop-in center where it's an all-in-one like thing for survivors um people in prostitution whatever it is um that they can come and find a safe place and get the resources that they need there's nothing in the phoenix valley that pertain to this there is like women drop-in centers but they're not geared and focused to these specific yes specific things because obviously this is going to be something that's going to it's a unique experience it's not the same as you know general homelessness or yeah. any of these other things which are still significant problems oh yes but at the same time in order to really be able to serve these people you're going to need to be a little more focused yeah so for people who are listening and you know even for me as someone who I'm aware of the fact that it happens, but I'm sure I have no idea of the scope. Like what is, how would you describe kind of the reality of trafficking in Phoenix or in Arizona? Like what, what is that? What is kind of the situation that we're facing? Yeah. 
So I always like to start off um, in the bigger picture and kind of narrow in. Perfect. Um, so worldwide, um, there's millions and millions of um, people in human trafficking. Um, and it is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, it's second into the largest criminal industry in the world right now. Um, wow. So the first being drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's isn't just in foreign countries and ones like Cambodia or Thailand, which is, you know, it's really, really bad there. And it just famous looks, for it. Yes. And it just looks different here in America. And that's where people get confused. Um, you know, you go to Thailand and it's pretty, pretty normal. You walk down the red light district or Amsterdam or, you know, Germany where there's this 12 story brothel. Um, it's, it's a lot more open to the eye. Um, but I'll say now, the number one person to purchase sex in those countries American are tourists. American tourists. Yep. People will fly just for the day and go out there, have sex, and come back. Um, and the sad thing is, is even if we, even when we know that they're doing that, they can't get charged because it's legal in that country. Right. Which is quite disappointing. Um, but if we have to focus here in America, they say it's really, really hard to tell. Um, uh, and this number is so wide for this reason. They said there's probably around 400 to 500,000 people in trafficking or were trafficked here in America. Um, 400 to 500, that's a huge gap. It really is. And that's just because it's hidden amongst pornography and um, people think it's prostitution or people just not say anything because they're so terrified of what the system and society is going to say about them. Um, And then if we were to narrow even closer um, and make it even a little bit more personal. Um, just in the Valley, they say that just in Phoenix, not in Glendale, Peoria, like just in Phoenix, they said that there's probably 400 um, victims of trafficking, um, which, you know, I've heard some people, well, that's not that bad. It's it's pretty bad because I, if I'm we, sorry, if there's one, that's yes, a problem. Yes, I know. And it's, it's sad because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why people say that, but it is because if you put it in this perspective, and I said, even if God did a miracle right now, um, and this is why we need people to step up and not just know of the problem, but be part of the solution is even if God did a miracle and he were to deliver and save all these women and boys and young children from trafficking is um, we would not have enough beds to house them. They would not have enough safe places to go. Um, which is obviously not good because we need those places for well, them to even feel safe to come home. I was gonna say for the like the idea of for them to even be trying to leave it and to try and get away from it, they're not that they would necessarily need it to try because I'm sure for some of them the situation is so brutal that anything is better. Oh yeah. But at the same time it's a lot easier to have them want to come forward and want to seek help if they believe that help is actually available. Exactly. You've got to be, it's such a hopeless life, I would imagine, that the idea of being able to offer them hope somewhere would be a huge step towards any kind of progress. Yeah, because if they know that the resource is there and they're provided with that resource, they're more, um, not 100% likely, but they're more than likely to go. Yeah. Um, and it might take a couple times them going there. They might of end up course. going back to life and then coming, 
go up coming back but as long as we're that resource it's it's awesome um and to make it even a little bit more personal you say you're a teacher right yes what grades do you teach six through eight okay so scary to think with the rise of pornography going on and the rise of young kids um just being brought into pornography um at such young ages now they say the average age is between nine and ten um so are you talking about them being exposed, exposed to it? Exposed, oh, okay. yes, exposed. Um, but with the rise of them watching pornography and stuff like that um, is causing a demand, a greater demand later on. So they're saying that in probably in the next five to ten years that there will be at least one person in every school that is being trafficked. So just even bringing that to a closer, is like even you being as a teacher, like being knowledgeable of the issue and being able to know and with like identify someone in your classroom because in america it's not like they're just you know people often think that sex trafficking is um they're kidnapped that's only four percent of the how they end up in trafficking so if you're looking at the greater the greater scale is that's only four percent we have all these pictures and america has done it so wrong i'll just say is we often present all these pictures of them chained up tape that's just not the reality that's not what you're going to see no you they still go to school they will still go even if they're in high school their pimps will drop them off because if they're not in school who do you think is going to get involved right police and truancy laws so they will be at school and you know i think it's like 10 i I mean the statistics haven't changed and it's just with the research but i think it's about 10 10 to 15 percent come from um parents just trafficking them so it's i mean of course the parents are going to drop them because again dcs will get involved right uh-huh and the cops and they'll find out and they'll investigate so being a teacher you know being able to identify that but also you know as parents when your kids like being aware like who's the kids that are coming to your house who are the kids in the, your kids classrooms that seem to always be maybe look like they're hurt or very isolated depressed or you know weird people are picking them up or you know they don't really talk about their home life that much um or when they're younger they often have very sexualized behaviors and just being able to identify that and realize that it can be closer to home than what you think and what you know so then for people who are so on a very just kind of basic level for people like teachers like parents what are some of the things they should be looking for then what are some of the indications and again we're not trying to tell everyone to go become their own detectives and yeah, go, yeah of course not because there's again i'm sure there are a lot of the quote-unquote symptoms that probably parallel things for a lot of other yeah. more oh, yeah. benign uh, mm-hmm. problems and things like that but what are some of the things to keep an eye out for so it definitely depends on um, the age group um, different things but if we were to talk around the average age here in the United States is 12 um, to be wow. trafficked so what is that like eighth grade? No, that, that's like six, six I was gonna say that's sixth and seventh, seventh grade, grade mostly so that's the average age here in America um, so that's pretty pretty young that's I mean terrifying at this point young. they don't might not have a phone they might just be getting a cell phone um but i think the main signs to look out for is are they having a loss of friends um because often what a trafficker or pimp will do is um at that age specifically in america is they'll try to be their boyfriend or 
you know, when boys get trafficked, because that does happen, it's not as likely as girls. But, you know, who is this individual in that life that is um, probably most likely older? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And are they, you know, are they going to the places that they're saying they're going? Are you having these issues where, you know, um, I'm going to stay home after school to work on homework and then they're not or whatever. And and at the mall, are they wanting to go to the mall in the center a lot? Because the mall is what one pit, pimp, quoting them, is where they go to hunt on young children. It's a lot more graphic. That's not the full quote. Of course. But that is definitely what he said. Um, and I think, so yes, yeah, so like isolation, um, losing friends, um, starting to wear a little bit more revealing clothing. Um, they become a lot less in participating in school. They see a sudden drop in grades, um, especially for the students who usually are more engaged and now not engaged. Um, as bad as it sounds, we've had some cases where they all of a sudden will have a tattoo, um, which obviously at that age is not appropriate. Um, and yet that's usually more high school, but we right. have seen it at younger. Um, they are getting picked up by people you're not really familiar with. Um, and I don't know how the school system really works with that age if they're just willing to get in a car and drive off. Um, I know with me, when I was in seventh grade, I just got in my friend's car and, you know, went off. So is it is it someone that looks like it could be their parents? You know, not maybe you should know, find out who this person is. Right. Um, the sad, I mean, some of the saddest stories I've heard is that the parents didn't even know that their kids were being trafficked. So it sounds like a lot of it, though, for adults looking to try and help in these situations a big part of it is actually just sort of being invested in the kids lives and really having having a real relationship with them so that you are able to notice Mm -hmm. these changes in their behavior because you know there are some kids who just tend to keep more to themselves naturally so knowing whether this is that's this kid this is a kid who just for whatever reason has a small group of friends and mostly sticks to they like reading and they're just kind of quiet or is this a kid who's normally much more socially active and then now all of a sudden they're becoming reclusive yeah and even what i recommend because when i was i mean i know that some kids switch from school to school but like even if you see let's say going from sixth and seventh grade and still being at that age of vulnerability um let's say you're a seventh grade teacher and you kind of notice that some things are kind of you know, off or just seem like they're a little bit too isolated. Um, go ask what their behavior was with the prior mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, were they always like this? Yeah. You know, even if you have to go fifth grade, right. you know, because maybe it started in fifth grade and being like, did you notice anything? And hopefully the teachers will all knows the kid well enough to hopefully give you some input. But I always say when you feel like something's in your stomach is not feeling right, the best thing you could do is at least put in talk to the principal talk to whatever says show them like this is my concerns now whether or not they go investigate hopefully they do at least bring it to the tensions if it's enough um but i think that's the best thing that we can offer well and one of the things i've i found too is that the kids and really like it's not something that ever goes away humans as much as we like to try and pretend we're very independent and we don't need anyone else 
it's really important for us to know that other people care about us and are interested in what's going on. And so like, even just talking to the kid and being like, hey, what's going on? And then the key point is kind of following up so that they know this isn't a, a one-time thing, but you actually care and you're actually looking to see how mm-hmm. things are going. That way, hopefully, if there's something going on, they do feel like they can trust you and they can come to you for help. Yep. Because especially if you're dealing with situations, and I mean, it's very similar to what they talk about with more general abuse and those kinds of things, is when the people who you're supposed to be able to trust the most are the ones who are involved in these damaging behaviors, it's really hard to trust another person. Yeah. And so if you can kind of give them that safe space where they feel like yeah. I can I can count on this person you're much more likely to get to the heart of it yeah and um, one thing that really one of my role models or my inspirations with even just taking the leap forward to fighting this giant is uh, Christine Kane which she has the founder of A21 which is a global movement to okay. end human trafficking um, and she shares a story about a time where they rescued a young girl and this broke my heart because um oh man like it made me cry when the first time i heard it because christine kane was trying to help her and she goes but my question is is why didn't you come sooner so that really broke my heart because you know like in situations where you know we might turn a blind eye or we might you know just ignore it um Really, I think a lot of it is times that these people want those questions to be asked, but someone has to be willing to ask them. Yeah. Someone's going to have to be willing to ask, are you safe? Are you okay? And they might not say anything for a while, but if you keep on asking them, are you safe? Like, this is a safe place. And, hey, I noticed a change of behavior. Like, is everything okay at home? And one day, you know, hoping, and they might not. Let's hope that one day they will be like, no, not everything is okay. Yeah. And that's my all they have to say. And then that's when things will be taken care of. And I always think about like, there was a couple months ago, or about a month ago, I saw this young girl walking the street and something tugged my heart. And I saw this guy right next to me roll down his window and say something to her. And I got behind him and followed him. And she probably, I mean, she might've been 16. She might've been 19. It was really hard to tell. Right. But um, I, this guy rolled in and she got into the car and I grabbed his license plate and for a moment I sat there and said, should I report this? And not the case because I don't want to, but because I don't ever want to put the girl in harm if she is 19 because she'll most likely get a prostitution charge. Right. Um, but I knew that if it was even a chance that she was a minor, not saying I wouldn't do it even if she was 18, 19, but I would hate like that question of why didn't you do it sooner like mm-hmm. or you know it not be me but someone else like it right. could be sooner um so i did report it and they they on the trafficking hotline they did say like it's probably a trafficking case just the way that the whole behavior and there was a lot more to it of course um but i was so glad that like you know even if it wasn't in whatever it, case it was um that i could know confidently at least i acted right did see it. You, you took action yeah you and sit so there and just watch it and you, i just i would hate to have stories of people like you know so many people knew but did not know that thing right. how do they not know um people it's scary it's terrifying absolutely and i think people just you know as bad as it sounds need to take their eyes off of themselves and 
start taking more action even if it is uncomfortable and it is a little weird to think that someone you know even personally might be getting trafficked yes they might hate you for it for a while but you know it's all for their safety and it's all for their good so for people who are hearing this and it's sparking something in them where they want to yeah. really help out and want to really be involved. First of all, how can they get in touch with you guys at Kill Today's Giant? And then what are some or what are some of the other avenues and things that they can pursue to really get active and participate in trying to really help put an end to this? Yeah. Um, so there's a there's actually a lot more um, than I first thought there was. Um, but the number one thing I always say is, even if you don't have time to be this um, activist like I am and invest hundreds and hundreds of hours in research, right. um, is to become familiar with just the statistics and the um, signs. And that's the foremost thing. And you could just Google that. But if you wanted to get involved more, um, yes, you can contact Kill Today's Giant. You can go onto our website, killtodaysgiant.org. Um, and you'll find our contact information on there and you can reach out to us. Um, but there's other organizations like A21 who is a more global thing and they actually have um, volunteer options um, in okay. different states. Um, and they also, what they call A um, teams here in Valley. And it's a group of people that come together and they talk about what can they do in the Phoenix area. Um, there is... Um, Exodus Cry, you can listen to more of their podcasts and stuff like that. And they talk about a lot how you can get involved within the Valley um, all around the United States. And um, honestly, there's a ton of organizations. And if you Google them, they'll provide a ton of resources. Um, there isn't, as I'll tell you, there is a lot, but there isn't enough. Of course. <laughs> as much as we would like to see. Uh I think the number one, like I said, the number one thing is becoming aware and implementing that within wherever you work, whatever it is, because it's everywhere. Um, and just telling people about what you learn too is also another key point. And you mentioned earlier the idea of like going and speaking at places to help bring that awareness. Mm -hmm. So if someone, like, so for example, if my school wanted to have someone brought in to speak to us about to speak mm -hmm. to the staff as a whole and everything about uh, being aware and what to look for would contacting you guys through killtodaysgiant.org and that kind of stuff, would that be the way to go about that? Yeah, so um, I personally definitely go, I'm the one in our group that goes out and speaks. Okay. So if you're ever interested on, you know, even within your workplace, things even such as like coffee shops and Absolutely. stuff like that there's always an opportunity churches um are a huge one because a lot of times they go to churches right um schools are my favorite because um it's so present there and i i love teaching kids to just be aware and know that when someone is trying to target them um uh colleges are great and stuff like that as well and there's also uh, another phoenix local um company called uh, Red Light Rebellion and okay. they focus on um, a lot about pornography but they focus on going into schools and teaching them about tra trafficking and how pornography is related to that and how the trying to really raise this generation to not be a part of the issue right. rather than the solution um, and 
they're an awesome, awesome company. That I love them. They're such. It's a couple who do it, and they're amazing. Um, and I have another um, close friend. She owns a company called the Soterra Initiative, um, and they hire um, survivors. Um, oh, that's awesome. So they make like jewelry, and they hire the survivors to make the jewelry and stuff like that. Um, but she also is trained to be able to um, train um, like cops and stuff like that to oh, wow. go out and um, just be be aware. Um, she goes to many different places. Um, so it's really awesome. Her name's Quay. She's great. So any of those options. Fantastic. So we normally try to, when we're wrapping up a podcast, whether it's an interview or just Brandon and I talking, we try to kind of wrap it up with some sort of a, a life lesson, something that, you know, just one thing that you want people to take away with them after having heard this. So if there was one message you really wanted to make sure everyone listening to this podcast leaves with this idea buried in their brain, what would you want that to be? Hmm, that's a good, there's two that I think. Go so for it, we can double up. if I were to take up. a personal, let's say one that's more guided towards personal, more that's guided towards, I guess, trafficking. Um, one thing that I always carried around in my pocket was to always pay attention to the little things that are going on in your life because God is always shifting things and moving things and is always speaking to you. Um, and that's in every area, That whether that's where your passions are or just looking back and reflecting on your life and seeing where God is, is what he is doing, even when it feels like he's doing nothing, mm-hmm. he is moving things. Um, and the other thing is, is um, you got two options in life, and it's either you can um, find about find out about this issue, human trafficking. Have two options: you can either pretend like it, you don't know anything about it, and turn a blind eye to it and become a part of the issue, or do something and become part of the solution. And what I'm trying to really get people is to be a part of the solution, because once you know about something, you can't just forget it. Absolutely. So, now all you guys who listen know about the issue. So That's can right. Can't, can't be claim part of ignorance the solution. anymore. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Of course. Uh, I do me. want to put a quick plug in for we are here at Small Town Coffee House in Glendale, Arizona. I want to thank them for allowing us to do this recording here. Uh, it's a We always recommend support local. So make sure if you're in the area, come by and get some coffee here. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up and say adieu. Thank you once again for listening to the Inkledo podcast. If you enjoyed what we had to say on this and you think other people might as well, then we'd really appreciate it if you'd help us out. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of the social media profiles. And please make sure to go ahead and share this link and this episode on your own social media. Thank you so much. Thank you.